one of the first main reasons is they want to deploy the dominant growth strategy in their particular business. And so if you're going to become like the best in your class and dominate the space, you have to have the best product, you have to have the best price, best value. That's one in few moats you have as a business if you want to really dominate that space. So there's only so many ways you can do that. And when you have a product-led approach, what it actually allows you to do is you can offer your product to a lot of people for a fraction of the cost because now actually you don't have to manually onboard people. That's all automated now. Two, you don't have to talk to them anymore when it comes to even just deciding like which plan you're going to pick because hopefully you've automated that. You made it easy for people to understand what that looks like. So they're able to actually offer these better product experiences for a fraction of the price and customers love it because now more than ever, we're all, all like, yeah, actually those consumer apps on our phones and everything else, we're used to this experience. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Market Mentors Podcast. I'm Matt Dodgson, co-founder of Market Recruitment, and we connect B2B tech and SaaS businesses with marketers to help them grow. This week we're joined by Wes Bush, and I think most people will agree, when you think about product-led growth, you think about Wes. He's written the industry-defining book on it. He and his team coach and train people on product-led growth through his company. And he also runs a community full of product-led experts. So with all that being said, let's dig into it. I hope you enjoy. So welcome to the Market Mentors Podcast, Wes. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Absolute pleasure. So before we get stuck into this one, I'd love to know what your relationship is with product-led growth. Oh man, we go back way back. <laughs> <laughs> but the main thing, I guess, by relationship with product growth is I kind of like stumbled upon this path. I never would have thought this is where I would have ended up. And I remember actually, I was working at Vidyard 2016. I was talking to this product manager and I was asking the same thing. Like, how do you get into like products? He was like, you don't go into product, you wind up in product. <laughs> it's so true for so many people, but mine was no different. So I actually started started in demand generation. That was my thing, digital marketing. I loved it. And I was working for a lot of these VC-backed sales-led companies initially where I would spend hundreds of thousands of dollars promoting these white papers and eBooks, getting people to download them. And then we would nurture these leads. Some of them would fill out our demo requests and have conversations with our sales team, or if they're a great account, the sales team would reach out. And so I would always wonder in the back of my head, like, is this a good use of money? <laughs> <laughs> like, is this the best thing we could do with it? Mm -hmm. And then we had a free trial at that time at Vidyard. And it's the first time it kind of like bombed. And then the second time we had a freemium model, it was wildly successful. And so I kind of realized at that point, it was that aha moment where I was like, man, your product isn't just something you sell. It's how you serve people. It's how you market. And that kind of goes to one of our first questions, just like, how do you define like what product-led growth is? And it's really just that. It's like when your product is the main vehicle for acquiring customers, is the main vehicle for activating and onboarding people, is the main vehicle for retaining people and also expanding into those accounts. So that's really kind of my background story of like how I got into it. I loved it. Obviously, I was 
hooked first love first sight <laughs> and I, it's been a wild six-year journey of really just getting to understand more about product at growth because it has a huge impact on how yeah. you build your business yeah and the buying process has changed so much in b2b as well hasn't it of recent no longer are buyers happy to sort of do loads and loads of calls they want to do their own research they want to experience the product yeah. in a sort of safe environment so you can understand why that sort of product-led stuff works really well at the moment for sure how you sell is just as important as what you sell yeah and what are the most common reasons i'm thinking of companies like canva and typeform and slack but what are the most common reasons that companies like that then are using product-led growth as a business strategy then there's a ton of reasons but i'll kind of boil it into like two main ones one of the first main reasons is they want to deploy the dominant growth strategy in their particular business. And so if you're going to become like the best in your class and dominate the space, you have to have the best product, you have to have the best price, best value. That's one in few moats you have as a business if you want to really dominate that space. So there's only so many ways you can do that. And when you have a product-led approach, what it actually allows you to do is you can offer your product to a lot of people for a fraction of the cost because now actually you don't have to manually onboard people. That's all automated now. Two, you don't have to talk to them anymore when it comes to even just deciding like which plan you're going to pick because hopefully you've automated that. You made it easy for people to understand what that looks like. So they're able to actually offer these better product experiences for a fraction of the price and customers love it because now more than ever, we're all, all like, yeah, actually those consumer apps on our phones and everything else, <laughs> we're used to this experience. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to B2B world, we're like, okay, thank goodness <laughs> this is still possible <laughs> for me to not just pull out my hair every time I open my computer and I'm like, oh, I hate this software. So yes, that is one of the reasons dominant growth engine, it will mm. get you there much, much faster. The other one, which is kind of really fun to think about, it's just a lot more capital efficient. So we're seeing right now in the markets, a lot of companies thinking about recession and like, I don't know, I'm not a market predictor here, but what I am a predictor of is <laughs> if you can run your business more efficiently, do it. Mm. It's a good time to do it. And so there is a lot of companies where they're like, okay, from the acquisition perspective, the cost per acquisition for even like a free trial or freemium user is a fraction of what you're going to spend for a demo request for onboarding experiences. You know what? A lot of sales like companies, they have, you know, maybe two or maybe four customer onboarding calls for every single new customer. It's like, well, actually we could automate that and actually give them a better experience and empower them to figure it out on their own and not just leave them hanging and do a great job on that front too. So there's so many cost savings here that all just add up to one, we can be more competitive and two, we can also deliver better value, which is a win-win. Awesome, awesome. So we're here to talk about some high level tips for SaaS companies who want to adopt a product led strategy. But before we dig into that, how should those companies evaluate whether or not they should adopt a strategy like this in the first place then? Yeah, so there is definitely some scenarios where I would caution against mm -hmm. just like, all right, like slap on this free trial, slap <laughs> on this premium model and like just be at it. Because at the surface, I was guilty of this too. I thought, okay, like developing a product as strategy and deploying it in your business is as simple as one, two, three, deploy that free trial, deploy that free model. And what I learned is it's like an iceberg. At mm -hmm. the top, you're going to see that. 
And that's like, okay, great. That doesn't seem like much. But then you go below the surface and you start to see, oh, okay, we really need to reevaluate our entire pricing strategy. How do we make it easy mm -hmm. for people to understand this? What metrics do we need to charge based on? For the onboarding approach, are we measuring time to value? Like how fast people can get to value? If not, there's some tooling you need to do there from maybe product analytics perspectives, but also from what steps do people need to do to really get to that value, the segments of your users. So there's so many things that go into it. And what I have seen quite a bit is some companies are just rushing into it because it's the latest, greatest thing. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, oh, they kind of get burned because they're like, wow, there was a lot more to this thing than I initially thought. So the very first thing is to really consider, are you at the right point in time to do this? Mm -hmm. And what I would kind of say is like, okay, that defining line is, do you have that product market fit where you understand who you're serving, how you're helping them, you have some consistent revenue coming in every month and you're just saying, okay, now we need to scale. That's a very great opportunity for you to really lean into becoming more product led. If you're before that and you're like, I really don't understand who we're helping, how we're helping them, mm -hmm. what our product does, and you're just trying to automate the heck out of it because you just don't want to talk to your customers it's a recipe for failure. <laughs> so <laughs> that is one of the first things I would kind of like caution against is really get clear on who it's for and who it's not for. Makes sense. And for context, then the audience we're going to be talking about today is companies that are already established. They could be startups, they could be scale-ups, but they probably already mm -hmm. have or go to market with a sales-led motion, but want to utilize a product-led growth strategy. Where should they start? You've just touched on a few of the bits there, but where do you think is the first step for them? Yeah. So I'd always just bring it back to the strategy. So like, okay, what does this look like for your business? And in our program, Product Like Accelerator, one of the things we focus on at the very beginning is just like, who is this for? Like, who is your ideal user? Think about like, look at all the people who you have as customers right now. Who are those ones that are like the most sticky? They love your products. They refer your products. Whenever you give them one of those NPS scores, they're always like 10 out of 10, 9 out of 9. It really just like rate you very highly. You're solving some core needs. So like you find those people. And then the next thing you got to do is like, okay, what does that end user success look like for this particular user? Mm. What is that big promise we're going to make to them? And to get crystal clear on that, as a team because one thing is really simple when you look at it from like a high level strategy perspective like okay this is the promise we make of course we got to deliver into the product and that's where it gets very complex but you really need to get crystal clear as a team of like what is the promise we're going to make to this user that's really meaningful to them will help them really see value and then the next part is like okay how do we really solve that problem for them for free hmm. and what's a subsection of that that will really help them see value. So an example, if you're like Slack and one of your promises is like, okay, we want to help organizations communicate a lot better. The very first beginner milestone might just be, let's help a team do that effectively. Let's help a team communicate very well together for free. And then once you get up to certain limits, then you start having to pay if you want more messages, more files, all that stuff. So really thinking about those subsections and how you can gear people towards seeing that part of the promise is huge. Mm -hmm. And where I see a lot of companies really make the mistake is they slap on this like free trial and they don't support mm -hmm. it with the right resources. They just empower the VP of sales, let's say, to run with this. And what ends up happening is very quickly, it just goes back into what it used to be where it's like, okay, instead of a demo request, people are filling this out. We're following up with them the same way. Mm. People are still having to manually get onboarded. Not much has changed from that end because they haven't got clear on like, what are we trying to help people mm. do? in this free product, why is it here? Mm. And I guess you can think about it as the product as a whole, but you could also think it was a separate thing that can lead into the product. So 
I'm thinking about HubSpot's website grader, was it something like that? So you could perhaps use a tool or build a piece of software or something which allows your ideal customer to achieve an element of what they want to do for free, which then leads them into the product. Would you also think about that as a product-led growth strategy? Yeah, that's definitely a part of it. Like on the marketing side of things too, of like how do you market and communicate some of the context around like where do you need to focus for your website in that case, it kind of opens up your eyes to some things. You're like, oh my goodness, like I never knew we were like this bad at some particular <laughs> things. But when it comes to your product experience, what you'd want to do is like go one step further where it's like, okay, yes, that's useful knowing this information, but what am I supposed to do with it? Mm. And how do I really see, okay, going from a website grade of 50 to now I'm at 70, like that feels like meaningful progress. And how do you help enable that within your product? Gotcha. And what sort of companies do you feel are achieving this really well then at the moment? There's a ton of them nowadays. You already mentioned the classic ones we mm. all kind of go back to, which is like the Canvas, the Typeforms, the Slacks of the world. And those ones are definitely doing an amazing job of really like embodying this and really deploying it in their business. But I'm also a big fan of some of the companies who have gone through our program where it's like nobody knows of them. <laughs> but they are really just delivering and over-delivering value to their users. And that's actually what I get more excited about is companies that really get this and they want to not just promise something on their website copy, but they can deliver on it very quickly. And I think those companies are the ones that are going to be winning a lot more in the future, for sure. Perfect. And you've talked about your program, which is a great start as well. But in terms of other tools or anything like that, you know, would you suggest people use other tools like Pendo or anything like that? We're we talking a bit sort of technical here or? Totally. Yeah. So whenever I consider tools, I'm like totally tool agnostic. Doesn't matter too much, but I would try and think about it like a cake in terms of the layers <laughs> of tooling. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to make a cake, like... I'm all for Oreo cakes. So like maybe <laughs> this is the ice cream layer at the bottom. But yeah, the very first layer is data. So you need to have the right data or else you're just kind of shooting in the dark around what's mm -hmm. going on. So like whether you use something like a mix panel, a heap, or an amplitude, or something like June.so, there's a lot of different options nowadays that will just tell you like, okay, here's what's working, here's what's not. You need to get an understanding of that entire user journey from like someone who you don't know to they become a customer and where do they get stuck in that particular journey so that's the first layer you must mm -hmm. have the second layer is really the product layer which is thinking about okay within the product experience how do we better enable people and so this is where a product like pendos the app queues mm -hmm. the user pilots i mean there's so many nowadays which is cool this is a lot of selection but also confusing yeah, <laughs> but indeed. like how do you guide people within the product to really see values? How do you walk them through some of those steps, which you might have a hypothesis of, okay, people need to do these five things to see value, but like, okay, let's show them. Let's make it like really easy mm. so that they can actually do that. Where I, I kind of see a lot of people abusing some of these tools is welcome. See this part of our product? See this part of our product? Wow, <laughs> you have no idea about this part of the product. And it's just like this entire tier and people are like left like, okay, I've accomplished nothing. I have actually less motivation to use this product. Mm. So there, there's a ton of abuse going on there, but <laughs> that's the second layer. The third one is really the conversational layer, which is, okay, how do we communicate in a way where we catch people where they are? And I think this is the main differentiation between, okay, we just use like an active campaign or something like that. We're just like, okay, we have, you know, a time-based email sequence and everyone starts there with a free trial or even like a freemium model. But how do you get a bit more granular? Like, so which users who have signed up in the last seven days have actually got devalue? Hmm. So the ones who have 
send them the upgrade stuff. <laughs> the ones who haven't, send them all the information you can to really help them get to the step. If they need to, let's say, copy an embed code or something like that to their website, and you know they're not that technical of an audience, offer an option in one of those emails to like forward this to their developer or something, make it easy for them and catch them where they are in that journey. So those are the three main layers, the data product, and conversational layer for tools that you really do need to have as a product led business that will make an amazing cake. Awesome. Awesome. You're making me hungry. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about tools then. what about people then? How would you recommend companies structure them sort of marketing teams and the teams that would support this sort of shift then? Totally. So I would actually focus less on like, how do you structure your team differently versus what are you going to get them to focus on differently? So mm. there is a couple of subtle shifts when making this transition from sales led or product led from a marketing perspective that you need to keep in mind. One of them being, what are you really promoting is kind of like your main offer. And in a product-led company, you will see front, right, left, and center is usually <laughs> like start for free, get started, go into the product, see what it's all about kind of thing. So it's less about get my white paper, get my white paper, get my guide. Like, have you read a guide from Slack or ebook mm -hmm. or it's very rare. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of cases that that's going to be the things you're promoting. You're actually going to be maybe if you are sales led, like repurposing all that stuff into just great blog posts. So mm -hmm. there's a subtle difference there. And then when it comes to who you target, this is a big change. It goes from targeting just buyers, which is like the VP of marketing at this company to, oh, actually that demand generation specialist who's going to use this product for the email marketing tool, let's target them because they're the ones who understands the technology. If they like it, we get them on board with this. They're going to like go up to the VP marketing, get them to actually make this purchasing decision if they had found value. So mm -hmm. it is a difference of who you target and what's great from a marketer's perspective. Targeting those people is way more affordable too because everyone else is targeting those really yeah. high level execs mm. and they're inundated with stuff. So you can really stand out if you do target these users as well. Perfect. So you talk about targeting different people then. What about the metrics? And you've talked a little bit about that classic demand gen and obviously demand gen is changing at the moment anyway, but let's do some marketing to somebody, get them to download it. We create an MQL, we move it to an SQL, et cetera. It's those common demand gen metrics, but from a product led growth strategy then, what sort of metrics should people be tracking? Totally. So there is a couple of ones that do change. You mentioned marketing qualified leads, and I'm not saying throw out to those marketing qualified <laughs> leads. They're irrelevant. Marketing qualified leads are dead. It's as fun as it is to say that. <laughs> <laughs> no. But what the next extension of this, I feel like every 10 years, there's a new kind of iteration of like, okay, it's just this, but it's a little more granular. Or it's a little bit more focused. And it's really just the evolution of what do you track as value for this? Because a marketing qualified lead, if you kind of unpack it, for a lot of companies, someone downloads your ebook, someone downloads your guide, maybe someone fills out a demo request, bing, 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 mm. I'm an MQL. Mm. And yet, this is a student doing research. So mm. like, mm. <laughs> unless you disqualify, <laughs> like maybe company names or something like that, you will probably get that as yeah. an outcome at some point. So there's a lot of like, okay, they maybe have shown us that maybe they visit the pricing page, so we give them more points. It's all very kind of like subjective. And it doesn't really tell you like, does this person get it as far as mm. what our product's all about? Now that's the part where product qualified leads come in and are really interesting. So you still take all those demographic information, you can still measure like sign up intense by like, or are they interested in some of these pages, like a pricing page and stuff that shows value or like indicator that they are interested in our product. But the one thing you add on to it is, did this person get the value? 
And what's so powerful about that part is one, internally, if you utilize this metric right, whether it's for your onboarding team or even for your marketing team to keep them accountable, you're going to start measuring this and say, okay, what percentage of signups actually got to value? Maybe right now, this is always embarrassing for companies when they first start this because they're like, my goodness, it's less than 5%. Like, <laughs> is this data accurate? And they start big <laughs> questions and like, it is. Yes. Yeah, I think it is. No. <laughs> they're like, oh man, no. this is bad. And so first you got to like open it up and just find out where you are in this journey and that's fine. But the second part is like, okay, if it's bad and for most of us, it will be bad at the very beginning. What can we do? Do improve this and what we always find for product led companies is that when you start tracking this one metric you will find that okay one you align teams around the right incentive which is like okay if we really boost this metric unlike the mql where it's like okay let's create more guides let's <laughs> promote those guides more hardcore mm -hmm. <laughs> let's make it easier to fill this out so that we get more <laughs> mqls and all that stuff we're yeah. actually focused on like how could i get this person to the right value moment and mm -hmm. what happens which is so cool about PQLs is that when you boost this up, you get more people to see success in the product. The next leading indicator is really just who's upgrading. And mm. that almost always goes up. Once you have that like PQLs dialed in, people are getting to value and then you'll start to see, okay, actually this correlation between like user success will eventually become our success is so true. So product-led leads, we've got the people signing up and then obviously the retention off the back of that, then I guess that's a key one too. Totally. Perfect. So we've obviously talked about some metrics now, which is great. What are some of the pitfalls? I mean, you talked about sort of getting into this early on and making a few mistakes as you were sort of figuring it out. But what are some of the pitfalls or the common pitfalls that you see that companies run into and how could they avoid those? Yeah, one of the biggest ones is just having the right team and resources support and buy-in from the top. As much as I would like to say, like, becoming product-led, although we advocate, like, it's a bottoms-up strategy to get adoption for the companies you sell to. It very largely has to be almost top-down mm -hmm. to be successful when you're getting this strategy rolling in your business to get people bought in. If, let's say, your CEO or C-suite is not bought into this, they just don't get it, they're most likely not going to support it. It's one of those shifts for any business when you're retooling and changing up your entire go-to-market strategy. That is something that you must must have that buy-in and support from the top for it to really see success. And where I see it kind of failing again and again is like maybe in especially large organizations, there's this team where they're like, you know what, we're just going to like focus in on this. And then they get like a fraction, a smidge of the support. And it's just one of the C-level leaders are like, let's test this out. And like, they just like little tiny dabble. And it's like, <laughs> and then immediately it wasn't successful. So we canned it. <laughs> it's like, okay. But like, you never gave it the opportunity to succeed. Mm. And to be honest, I think one of the other pitfalls that falls within this is that a lot of people just expect this stuff to work right away. Mm. And it's like, okay, we had a free trial. It didn't work. Hmm. Mm. That's bad. I mean, it's almost expected too. And like one of the things too, when I look back at my experience at Vidyard, our free trial wasn't even successful for the first time. Like I make my living now talking about this stuff, but the first time it wasn't even successful. The second time, however, it was totally different. So like you just keep on this path 
and find out what are some of those things that do make a difference. And one of the big factors that helped us with that was we had a team that was dedicated towards this and it had the right resources. So whenever I see that kind of like top-down buy-in, they give the resources, they have a team dedicated towards this. If you're in a bigger company, they have the right support and you know they're not just drawn into the day-to-day -day of the existing business. And that can make a huge difference. Perfect. So for anybody that wants to learn more about this then, wants to move to a product-led strategy, where would you recommend them going? What we talked about, all those beginner milestones of like identifying what the fundamentals of product-led growth, how to do it, we are giving that away for free. So like you can get our free book at productlead.com. You can get our free course on the fundamentals of product-led growth. If you want to connect with our free community, we have all of that. So just check out productlead.com and we'll help you out. Awesome. And I'd highly recommend the book as well. It's awesome. So Wes, you've been fantastic. You're an absolute superstar. Thank you very much for sharing your knowledge with us. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Matt. Cheers. Cheers. So that's it for another episode of the Market Mentors podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a review as that helps the channel going forward. Until next time.